0: This is the Hymn Publications podcast. I'm Chad Harrington, your host. Our goal with this podcast, our goal with this podcast is to help you find effective discipleship resources for your church. Go to hymnpublications.com to check out our books. One massive area of discipleship is handling conflict and seeking reconciliation. That's what today's episode is about. Recently, I preached a sermon at my home church about the story of Jacob and Esau. Their story, I believe, offers an excellent example of reconciliation. From a relationship that had been filled with rivalry, hurt, and pain. With all the conflict we see in the world today, here's the question. What does God's word say about finding healing? The story of Jacob and Esau provides a reliable guide. News outlets talk about problems, but what about solutions? So as you listen to today's podcast, you'll understand the key lesson that we can learn from the story of Jacob and Isaac, gain insight into how the world gets the narrative flipped, And walk away with a practical tool for walking into any conflict. Take a listen and share this podcast with someone you know who needs to hear it. I'm thankful for the opportunity to bring the word to you today. I'm excited because Genesis is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I think this content is so rich. And I've been talking with my dad a little bit about this. It's like, let's think about what's going on in our world today. And it's amazing that the very first book of the Bible Is even relevant for what we're talking about and as we'll see today the sermon is called sibling rivalry and reconciliation and it's like wow what a timely word for all the conflict going on to retrace a little bit from JP's message last week in Genesis 24 the moment when Isaac sees Rebecca I love this moment because Isaac is meditating in the evening it says on a mountainside and it's like who is this guy you know I keep being sort of enamored by what kind of persons the people of God have been throughout time and it's like the moment he saw his soon-to-be wife for the first time he was meditating of all things I love that it reveals the kind of man he was but I'll say this that didn't happen overnight and I want to tell you about a class that we're offering about spiritual formation It's part of our digging deep series we do these on Friday mornings and the next one we're offering is spiritual formation and so I thought it was a really cool tie-in that um, Isaac was meditating and what we're going to talk today about is unforgiveness and the uh, you can hold that slide up there for a minute unforgiveness is a burden that we carry that God can relieve us of but how do we do that how do we become Spiritually formed where we're the kind of people where we naturally do what we know we can do in Christ like Isaac did and so this is a Friday morning class starting August 14th it's before your day gets going 630 to 8 a.m. Friday mornings for six to eight weeks and we're gonna walk through spiritual formation from a biblical perspective so that you have a good understanding of of why and what to do from Scripture based on the life of Christ But then we're also, and this is exciting, you're going to walk away with a a plan that's catered to where you're at so that you can grow from where you're at. And so I'm really excited um, about this start. You can actually sign up at harpethcc.com and just search events for spiritual formation and you can sign up. Uh, Hope to see you there. And I wanted to, to bring that up in the sermon today because what we're going to do is look at the spiritual formation journey of Jacob And how one of the closest relationships in his life, his twin brother, that relationship was pivotal. Both challenging and dynamic, as we'll see, in who he became as a person and how God used that relationship. And I think spiritual formation is a very important word for today. In other words, a very important thing, aspect of our lives. Because there's a lot of conflict going on out there, isn't there? What's going on in here? And how does change actually happen in the world? Spiritual formation is how God forms our hearts and our lives. You know, I love in that song, the church is the hope of the world. Really, to take that and extrapolate it, it's Christ in the church that's the hope of the world. And so what I want to do today is look at the life of Jacob from a 40,000-foot view. We're going to kind of fly over it. But we're going to touch down at three pivotal moments as we go and it straddles genesis 25 to chapter 33 so go ahead buckle your seatbelts and open your bibles to genesis chapter 25. we're going to begin when jacob was still a young man actually living at home and then we're going to land the plane when Je- when J- jacob is older and he's got a family of his own we get a sneak peek into that relationship I mentioned about Jacob and his brother twin brother Esau while they're still in the womb and I think that this is really interesting Genesis 25 verse 22 says that when Rebecca who's Isaac's wife became pregnant with twins it says but the two children struggled with each other in her womb so she went to the Lord to ask about it which is kind of funny it's like what's going on in here hey what kind of person was Rebecca that she's like this is weird let's go to the Lord and she says why is this happening to me and God said to her the sons in your womb will become two nations from the very beginning the two nations will be rivals I can just see Rebecca bracing herself what have I gotten myself into and so when they're born Jacob is actually grabbing Esau's heel you remember the story and so he gets the name jacob which in hebrew sounds like heel which implies a trickster you know when you want to trip someone up you hit their heel or at least that's how i did it when i was a kid and then esau's name in hebrew sounds like harry so if you think about it they're heel and harry the two twins i can just imagine that conversation with isaac and rebecca isaac's like hey rebecca what do you think you know he's grabbing the heel and then he's harry heel and harry yeah she's like okay whatever sounds good to me but from the beginning they were at odds and that becomes their story for a long long time and if there was a banner flown over their their life with a single word on it I think that banner would be struggle between these two brothers but as we'll see that's not the last word in their story so while from the beginning they struggled There's two sort of pivotal moments in their lives as young men that really formed them and really kind of marked them. The first one was when Isaac, uh, sorry, when Jacob steals Esau's birthright in Genesis 25, starting in verse 29. You know the story how Esau was away on a hunting trip because he was the outdoors guy and Jacob was the home dweller so he's making his stew Jacob is Esau comes in from this exhausting journey he's actually on the brink of death he needs a meal and so Jacob tricks Esau into trading him his older son's birthright which was the double portion of inheritance for a pot of stew strike number one strike number two the second pivotal moment in this sibling rivalry happens in Genesis 27 starting in verse 1 and we see this story unfolding and what becomes one of the most painful narratives in my opinion in in all of Scripture Isaac wants to bless his older son Esau and so he sends Esau out to cook his favorite meal and to come back and receive a blessing meanwhile rebecca his wife manipulates jacob to get him to trick her husband into giving the younger son the blessing instead of esau and it's like really these are our people in scripture and sometimes i just think i can't believe that god deal, works through us people at all because we're doing stuff like that i mean these are the stories of the faith It's amazing that even they had weaknesses, and I love that, that that God inspired Moses to include that in Genesis. And so, Jacob dresses up so that he looks, smells, and feels just like his brother Esau so that he can steal the blessing from Isaac. And so this is a crucial moment in Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 22. It says, Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him. And said the voice is the voice of Jacob but the hands are the hands of Esau he didn't recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau so he blessed him are you really my son Esau he said I am he replied and I just want to pause here for a minute because notice that identity statement of confusion within Jacob Whether he struggled existentially with his identity or not, we don't know, but we do know that who he was was not enough, that he had to lie. And I think that that's an important note in this rivalry thing. Are you enough in your own heart? Or do you feel like you have to grab something that's not yours? Well, Esau finds out and he is devastated because for them, Receiving the birthright was given at birth, but the blessing, oh, they longed for this from their father, especially with such a heritage, and the stories of Abraham. And they knew the promises, and he says, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Esau says, he's deceived me with these these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And the desperation, you can hear almost quiver in his voice, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac says, No, I gave it all. And so Jacob and Esau have this massive conflict. And it becomes a mark on their relationship and a wound in their life that lasts for a very, very long time. And what I want to say is in our world today, there is conflict in this unique cultural moment at every turn. Massive, seismic. We're seeing political, national, even local conflict. Who do we follow? What do we believe? How do we handle the conflicts, even in our families and within ourselves? And so what I want to do is describe the conflict spiral, at least by appearance. And this is the narrative that the world is telling, okay? And there's truth to it, but I I, I want to describe it. It says that the world is pressing down on people. And then groups of people are impacted, families are affected, and individuals are harmed, and then it causes turmoil within our hearts, right? So there's truth in that, right? That happens. That's true. But that doesn't quite get to the heart of it. The reality is that what really causes fights between countries, states, spouses, siblings, friends, and family is all the same. And it all comes from disordered desires within our own hearts. That's the truth. And I know this because James says that in chapter four, verses one and two, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you as individuals? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet and you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Sound familiar? You do not have though. Because you do not ask God. God is the missing word in the conversations and the narratives going on today. God. The problem is not just in the world, although it definitely is, it's also, here's the thing, within us too. We're all broken and in need of the redemption of God. So while the world tells one narrative, Right? There's truth in it. The reality is actually a fuller picture, and if you think about it, it's kind of flipped. The truth is that the conflict spiral in reality goes a little bit the opposite way. We experience turmoil in our hearts, James says, because we don't get what we want. And so individuals are harmed in the process because, well, we take it out on other people. And then families are affected because, well, they're the closest to us. And then social circles are impacted because we live social lives. And the world presses down on people because when you add all of us together, we're a big heap of a mess. That is how it works. And that leads us to the solution, actually. We all need redemption. And the transformation of individuals at the heart level is how and the only way that any change really happens. And that only comes by God. Holy Spirit, come. All the conflicts happening between people right now are from sin. It's not about the conflicts or the issues themselves. It's because we don't get what we want. And it comes from the fact that we are lost and in desperate need of an encounter with the living God. What people need today is what they've always needed. They need God. So our real problem is not just the fighting on the outside, it's the battle within. And so what we see in the life of Jacob and Esau is really a microcosm of all sorts of conflict, And so when we read their story, we're actually reading our story, too. And we can find ourselves in the narrative. And like these two brothers, we too need God in order to be made whole. And that affects all of our other relationships. So the main point of my message today, if you could walk away with one thing, it's this. In order to be reconciled with one another, we must have a transformative encounter with God. That's what we all need, and that's what Jacob and Esau needed. As the story unfolds after Jacob steals his brother's birthright and his blessing, Jacob ends up essentially running away from home so that his brother Esau wouldn't kill him. The wound ran deep. According to Genesis 26, 23, we know that Isaac and his family had settled in Beersheba, which was near the southern border of Judah. And so Jacob flees and he goes from Beersheba all the way to Haran, where his mother Rebecca was from. Quite some mileage. Time to think. And then he spent 20 years in Haran. What started out with the selfish trick turned out to be two decades of hard labor, where he learned himself what it meant to be tricked. His father-in-law tricked him into marrying his daughter that he didn't want, Leah, after working for seven years. And then when he finally did marry Rebecca, uh, Rachel, he had to work an additional seven years, followed by six years of hard labor, where his father-in-law, it says, tricked him by changing his wages 10 different times. Talk about the school of hard knocks, and it's like, okay, Lord, <laughs> I understand. It takes longer sometimes than we thought it would. I think, I think Jacob was being humbled, perhaps prepared for the legacy that he would leave. And so let's pick up the narrative those 20 years later when God tells him to go back. We try and avo- avoid the wounds, don't we? The darkness, the pain. And God says, that's where I want to meet you. Let's go. And so, while he was gone, Esau had actually transitioned to a neighboring area called Seir, which was close enough to home that Jacob saw it as a threat. And so, he sent out some scouts. And then Esau caught wind that Jacob was returning home. And so, Esau starts pursuing Jacob and coming after him as Jacob's coming down. And in Genesis 32, 6, the scouts say to Jacob, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Confrontation point. So Jacob, now with 11 children, multiple wives, says, all right, let's divide up into two groups in case they attack us, at least half of us can run away and survive. And then he develops this plan to overwhelm Esau with herds and flocks and camels so that at least there's a chance that Esau will treat Jacob favorably. And this is amazing. In Genesis 32, verse 10, we get the prayer that Jacob prays in this moment to God. It's recorded in scripture. And he looks to God and he says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. Notice that identity statement. I am. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. Humbled man. A humbled man... Or woman wants reconciliation because it's good those conflicts they don't go away do they when they're deep and I want to pause here and just take a step out of the story for something more practical whenever you're about to encounter someone who either has something against you or you with them note the posture of Jacob Paired with prayer as you consider how to reconcile with someone. And so I'm going to offer what I call the steps towards reconciliation. And I learned the second two from a man named Craig Miles. First is, take the first step by deciding that you will make yourself vulnerable. Number two, check your heart to make sure that you're being humble and acknowledging your part in it. And Number three, pray before the conversation. So that a potentially divisive moment would actually become a reconciliation moment. Prayer, even in the midst of fear. So Jacob prepares all of his people the night before in the incredible gift that he wants to offer his brother. It's six droves of animals, 220 goats, 200 ewe lambs and 20 rams, 30 camels, 50 cows and 30 donkeys, one after the other to overwhelm Esau with his repentance and his guilt and then one group of his family followed by another group of his family and then Jacob thought to himself if I bow down seven times as I'm approaching him maybe just maybe he'll spare my life and so he sent everyone ahead of him that night across the river and it says in Genesis 32 verse 24 that Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him that night until daybreak interesting at the end of the day in this case quite literally but at the end of our lives the what we do with our conflict is something that we stand alone before God with And I love that the night before he had the confrontation moment. He was alone with God, and here's the cool thing, and God met him there in the darkness. We later learned that it was, in fact, God that he encountered that night, and the truth is we don't really know what this looked like or how it worked, but what we can know is that Jacob walked away a transformed man. And there's a lot of mystery to this text, I think. And and I think part of that is because, look, Jacob was the only guy there, the story was his. And I think sometimes words fail to tell us what an encounter with the living God, especially, he says, which was face to face, feels like what it was like in detail. But we know that in order to be reconciled with one another, like the life of Jacob, we must encounter God in a transformational way. And the man that night, representing God, touched the socket of Jacob's hip, it says, which made him walk with a limp afterward, humbled again. And then God says to him through an angel, and this is from the message paraphrase, the angel says, your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, it's Israel, God wrestler, because you've wrestled with God and come through. The NRSV and the ESV say that he wrestled with God and prevailed. He survived it. He hung in. And so God essentially changed his name, changed his identity from tricker of people to wrestler with God. And this change affected the history of the world because Jacob, who is now Israel, became the father of Of the nation that fulfilled the promise that god had given to abraham isaac and now jacob the timing was important too because as we pick up in genesis 32 verse 31 it says and the sun rose and jacob looked up and he saw his brother esau coming with 400 men and so jacob follows his plan he sends the 220 goats The 200 ewe lambs the 20 rams the 30 camels the 50 cows the 30 donkeys one after another hoping and praying that esau will not destroy them and then the first wave of his family unit and then the second wave and he bows down seven times hoping that isaac that esau will have mercy and catch what it says in genesis 33 verse 4 it says that esau ran to meet jacob and embraced him He threw his arms around him and kissed him, and they wept. What kind of man was Esau that he could forgive like that? That the grudge that he could have held for all those years had been loosed? We know Jacob's story of transformation, but what about Esau's? The last time we saw Esau, he wanted to kill Jacob, and now he runs to him. Kisses him and weeps with him. And the only thing that can explain this is that he had been touched by God like Jacob had. Imagine the surprise that Jacob had when he expected the sword, but he was met with a kiss. Isn't that like the grace of God? There's a scene from episode two of the TV series called The Chosen where Nicodemus speaks with Mary Magdalene about her transformation from being a prostitute to becoming a disciple of Jesus. And I love how she says this in this TV series. She she explains the moment that she experienced Jesus. She said, he called me Mary. He told me I am his. I am redeemed. She says, I don't understand it myself, but here's what I can tell you. I was one way and now I'm completely different, and the thing that happened in between was Him. Because in order to be reconciled with each other, we have to experience God in a transformational way. That's the only way it happens. And We don't under, always understand how or when God will touch us. Sometimes it's the 11th hour. Sometimes it's the middle of the night. But when He does, He reaches down into the depths of our heart, deeper than we know we had capacity for, and He heals us. So we talked about the conflict spiral. We talked about experiencing turmoil in our hearts, which harms individuals, affects families, impacts social circles, and presses on the world. But in Christ, the redemption is the reconciliation revolution, which is what God can do in us. And this is when we experience healing in our hearts where individuals feel loved, families are mended, social circles are changed, and the world experiences love overflowing that's revolutionary. That's the reconciliation revolution that we have at our fingertips in Christ by the mercy and grace of God. And so while the world experiences life one way, in Christ we can be transformed and the thing that happens in between. Is God he gives us the satisfaction he gives us the peace he gives us the healing that we desperately need at our core that the world desperately needs and we have access to this in Christ if only we'll receive it once Jacob and Esau stopped weeping together Esau asked Jacob what did you mean by all these droves I met it's like what was going on man like Jacob, still a humble man, says, I, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau says this. He says, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. <laughs> I have enough. Can you say those words with your life now? I don't mean money. I mean peace. Can you say in the midst of your pain and your hurt, I have enough. If I'm honest, I struggle with that. So let me tell you a story about a lady who learned to say I have enough. And I got to meet her when I was in Sierra Leone in 2013. And I just want to say before I tell this story again, I love the fact that Harpeth raised tens of thousands of dollars for the people in Sierra Leone because they desperately need it. And it's even more meaningful because I've been there and I've seen some of their faces, these beautiful people. One lady in particular, I was able to lead through Neil Anderson's Steps to Freedom in Christ in a group setting. And so this is actually a picture I took while I was there. And I want you to just kind of feel what the country looked like, very simple and plain, very poor. One of the poorest countries in the world, if not the poorest. And the process of the steps to freedom in Christ involved going through a, one step where you take an inventory of the people who have wronged you in your life and you list them out, and by God's grace, you work towards forgiving them. It, it overlaps with the step studies of Celebrate Recovery, which we have at this church, and it's awesome. Well, toward the end of the week, the lady pulled me aside and she said that she had a deep wound. And she said, during this civil war of the early 2000s, there was massive conflict in their nation. Terrible. She said, My uncle stole my passport and fled the country instead of me leaving me here without a way to escape. And she said, I was so angry. And for 10 years, she said, I've held on to that grudge. But she said, This week, I forgave him. she said in fact I'm gonna go for the first time and see him she said it's caused turmoil in our family for over a decade she said but the Lord has helped me forgive him and we're gonna be reconciled and the reason that that's so beautiful is because it's a story of when God changes someone's heart and helps them In their heart forgive somebody and that in turn affects the people closest to us which has the power to impact everyone around us because in order to be reconciled with other people we have got to be transformed by an experience with God and so I want to ask this how are you in your heart today I mean really With whom do you need to be reconciled? Whom maybe have you injured? Is there someone that you're angry at? Unforgiveness is a burden. And until we forgive by the grace of God, we carry it. So what reconciliation with people do you need today? And what I wanna do is say this, as far as it depends on you, sometimes We can only do our part. But as far as it depends on you, take the first step. Be humble. Check your heart before you go and pray. And here's the cool thing. That in Christ, maybe, just maybe, the reconciliation in your life will bring an overwhelming sense of peace and healing that will literally be hard for you to understand, that might change generations, and that his peace will not only guard your hearts and your minds, but here's the cool part. It can also have a rippling effect in our families, in our nation, in our world that is the hope of the world Christ in the church